Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the question that I want you to think about tonight. Say it back to yourself. Do I want to do better? It's a funny question when you really consider it. Who doesn't want to do better? Why wouldn't I want to do better? If I asked you about just anything in your life, if it could be better, what would you say? If it could be better, the Lord grants it to be better, why not have it better than it was before? If I were to ask you about your job, if you wanted a better job, you said, why not have a better job? Yes, sure. If I said, would you like your stock portfolio to do better? Would you say, no, of course not. No, yes, you would welcome a glad, glad tidings, this great joy of having a better stocks doing in the market. What about if your children were at school and you said, well, surely I don't want my kids to do better at school or at sports. No, nobody's going to say that. Of course you'd want them to do better. We probably wouldn't say we'd like things to be worse. Don't certainly want any of that to happen. But yet, this is a question that Christians struggle to answer when they are trying to walk the Christian life. Do you want to do better in your Christian life? Do you want to do better in the vocations that God has placed each of you in? i tell you why this is a question that people stumble over. It is usually because of two reasons. One, the person, he may think that he has already accomplished it. And he can't get any better. He's already doing the very best that he can in life. And so therefore, he doesn't have to consider this. He's kept God's word good enough. He's a, a good point. The second one is that he doesn't need to do better because he believes that God doesn't really care. God loves me just the way I am, and so therefore I can do whatever I like, and I know that God will still love me just the way I am. Do I want to do better? Is a serious question that every Christian should actually engage in and consider in their own life. Today is a continuation of last week's question, what sins should we confess? We learned last week that before God we should plead guilty of all sins, those that we know and those that we don't know. But before the pastor, we plead guilty of only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. To which naturally a person would ask, well, which are these? Luther offers some very practical but tangible advice for this by listing a series of questions. He says, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments, those which you heard read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? I guarantee you fit into at least one of those. Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything 
or done any harm. If I let you dwell on that for too long, you may start to bow your heads. Every one of us knows that we have an answer to those questions. More than just a yes or no answer, we have concrete examples in our heads of things where we have failed, people that we have failed. We haven't done the very best that we could actually do. We have loved ourselves more than we have loved God, and so our love for our neighbor has also suffered. If you want to do better, you are going to give an honest appraisal, an examination of your heart, of your words and your deeds in each one of the vocations that God has placed you in. And you will give an honest answer to those questions. If you think you are doing well enough, or if you think that God doesn't really care, then you're going to ignore those questions, in which case I will not consider you a Christian. Because if you love something, you're going to put every effort into making it, keeping it, saving it, caring for it, improving it, cherishing it, and holding it close to your heart. The words in Psalm 119 may be our best used to focus us this night. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. You all have done such a thing. Sworn an oath to God, a vow to him to keep his righteous rules. The Christian life isn't just a life of words. It's a life of faith in Christ, lived out in word and deed amongst our neighbors, our family members, our co-workers. It is a life of constantly asking and pleading for God's forgiveness and for his grace to rest upon us. Because we all struggle We all fail to uphold the Ten Commandments, even as much as we might love them and cherish them. But I'm not telling you anything new. In fact, I want you to try and remember back to the time when you were confirmed. Or even just more recently, whenever we have received new members into the congregation. We go through a profession of the faith to which people again Renew that vow that they have before God. There are questions that the pastor asks, three of which stand out to me, as being, in fact, what you will do with your life, how you will confess with your mouth, how you will hear with your ears. The first question is this. Do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? 
To which you responded, whether you remember or not, I do. But not I do alone. You responded, I do by the grace of God. Because you are unable to do it on your own. Second is a question about your life. Your life lived out among the saints. Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even to death? And again, you answered in the affirmative, I do, but again, not I do alone. I do by the grace of God. And then this question. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? To which again you answered, I do by the grace of God. I know some have mistreated the rite of confirmation, saw it more as a graduation, or once they've graduated, They get to be free to do whatever they want to do. But these questions lead us in a different direction. They tell us that the Christian life is never ended on this side of glory from having to will and do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit according to the righteous will of God. We walk the line, the path of righteousness. We live out these vows before God and before God's people and before all people, even those who do not believe. At this time of your profession of faith, you say before God and the congregation that you are confirming the faith that God has given you and implanted in your heart in your baptism and that you have a desire to continue steadfast in that faith in this new life that God has given you, through death and into life eternal. Think about a disciple of the Lord. A disciple of the Lord is one who studies the teachings of his master. He doesn't hold them afar, but he makes them his own so that he becomes an imitator of his teacher. And isn't that what we heard on Sunday from Ephesians chapter 5? Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When you consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments, you have a choice. The Ten Commandments are going to be there Forever. They are the will of God. They do not change. But your relationship to them can. You can come to the Ten Commandments and hear them and remain a proud person, and you will leave empty handed, for you will not receive the forgiveness of God. Or you can come in humility, come as the humble disciples of the Lord as they came to John and ask I, or say, I do want to do better. To confess where you have fallen and where you have failed. 
And to say, I do want to do better, but I cannot do it on my own. And so I pray the Lord's grace and ask that it rests upon me. Because if you do desire to do better, God will, in your humility, bring to your mind what you need to confess. The very sins that are weighing you down, that are burdening your conscience and your soul. For God does not let sin hide in the darkness so that it can further do damage to you, damage your faith. Instead, when his word comes to bear on your life, it is there to illuminate the darkness so that nothing is left hidden. And although I know this is a most painful experience, it is also for your benefit that God does this. Think of a surgeon. A surgeon enters into the body through a cut. He goes to a specific place in the body to remove something like a tumor, which, if left unchecked, will grow and grow until it kills the body. So by God's word, God removes what is killing your body. Like a perfect surgeon with a precise scalpel, he makes his incisions and he cuts out what is poisoning your soul. He brings to you forgiveness and closes the womb, wound and heals you. You see, in the rite of individual confession and absolution, which we are so much talking about, the penitent says at the very end, I am sorry for all this and ask for grace. I want to do better. These words which come out of the lips of a penitent sinner can be nothing else than the work of the Holy Spirit. For we would neither ask for forgiveness nor the help of the Holy Spirit to do better unless the God was in us, working through us. We cannot do what God asks or please him with our life except with the Holy Spirit. The rite of confession and absolution, in fact, does bring us right back to our confirmation vows. For faith's desire is to have a life which is upright and godly, but such a life cannot be had except by the grace of God. And the one who seeks the grace of God, it will not be withheld. They will receive it, and the Lord will strengthen their faith and show them mercy and forgive all their sins. Consider the gospel reading which you heard from Luke chapter 3. When those who were living in sin heard the preaching of John the Baptist, as John brought to light all that they had done wrong, they approached him humble, repentant, and they received a baptism into the remission of sins. But there were some that came out to him who were proud and unrepentant. He was met with both. Those who were of the crowd of the Pharisees came desiring to stay proud and arrogant people. They were unrepentant, acting as if there was nothing out of place in their life and if they needed to amend nothing that they were doing. They wanted to say, we are God's chosen people. We have Abraham as our father. But John cut them off before they could blaspheme anymore. 
This is the equivalent of people yet today who wish to remain unrepentant, who come quickly to the church and say, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I was once communed here, you cannot deny me. But a person who comes like that will leave again empty-handed. They don't wish to confess their sins. They only wish to speak in order to cover up what they have done rather than repent of it. Such a person is not sorry, does not want God's grace, does not desire to do better. To them, God withholds forgiveness for as long as they do not repent. And this warning is given. The axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God save us from that. Proverbs 9 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. That is the heart that each and every one of us should desire. To be the wise ones who sit at the feet of Jesus and listen, receive, confess, again receive and live out this godly life. The Pharisees who came out to John the Baptist believed themselves to be wise, but they were shown to be the foolish ones and the scoffers. So they missed out on the forgiveness of their sins and they remained living in their sin. But not all people hated John. Not all people hated the words that he preached. Some of them heard his words and feared the wrath of the Lord, and they pleaded for God's grace and the forgiveness of their sins. And they asked how they could do better. And so with much exhortation and the preaching of the good news, John cared for them. It is as Proverbs 9 continues, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so by John's preaching, each was asked to consider their place in life according to the Ten Commandments. When those who were living in their homes and working normal jobs asked, what should we do? He said, if you have two tunics, share one with your neighbor and do likewise with your food. And when the tax collectors came, who were known for lying and stealing, and yet they had confessed their sins, the Lord, or John the Baptist, told them to not take more than they were told. And the soldiers were not to use fear to exhort the people to take from them what they did not earn. They were to be content with their wages. He didn't tell them that there was nothing that they could do. He simply admonished them and then exhorted them to godly living. He laid out for each of them in their lives how they could be imitators of God. And from the salvation that they received flowed every good work that they could do in love and service to their neighbor. So when we consider our place in life, according to the Ten Commandments, we also do likewise repenting of those things which we know we have failed to do, and at the same time asking for God to teach us in our hearts what we could do better. 
for having been purified and made holy by his word, I do not believe any one of us wants to return back to the soiled garments that we were wearing. Rather, we want to be led forth out of our grief, out of death, into new life and the joys of our salvation. And so, as any good pastor has done, he shares with the congregation what righteous living looks like, so that you may not sin. But if any one of you should sin and fall into sin, do not fear, for you have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and by his sacrificial death, you have full atonement for your sins. In Jesus' name, amen.